about like 10 minutes ago, I looked over to my left and realized the cooker had been left on this entire time. I don't know if listeners are aware of the fallout that has happened, but uh, a while back, like a couple of weeks ago, uh, Patreon decided to restructure their payment scheme uh, to the detriment of actual Patreons. They kind of made it better for creators and worse for Patreons. There was a huge fallout and Bill and I were talking and based on what some other YouTubers were doing, we thought it might be a cool idea to not charge for this episode to be like, hey, look, Patreon clearly doesn't care about you guys, but we do. So here you go, have the have the episode for free. Now, since then, Patreon have like backtracked on everything because of the fallout and said, look, we're not changing anything. The payment thing is exactly the same. Nothing has changed. Um, so Bill and I talked again and we were like, hey, let's still just give it out for free because we were going to do it anyways. And it's Christmas and, you know, a bit of a kind of like thanks for listening here. No charge, you know, around Christmas time sort of thing. So uh, heads up to the Patreons. We won't charge you for this. Uh, Merry Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, they, they've really listened to the their base, to their uh creators and to the patrons using the platform and have decided to roll back everything I think they could have you know not made those decisions in the first place and <laughs> listened to them before you know actually consulted the the relevant parties before making those decisions so um, I think there's been a, a lot of uh, trust lost yeah and I think uh, I think some of the creators have lost out on a lot of money because like a lot of people who are supporting them at the kind of one dollar level, they they cut out a lot of the the people they were supporting because of the increased charges. Um, but hopefully it can be repaired, and you know at least at least it's been demonstrated that they listen and that they respond to to their community. Yeah, the the. The charging the new the new payment scheme like disproportionately affected one dollar patrons like they paid yeah what but what basically happened for the listeners is that they the way it is now is that we incur credit card transaction fees like we the creators um the patrons don't so when you when you like sign up to support a creator for a dollar you literally pay a dollar and then we pay credit card fees on top of that so we get a little bit less than a dollar. And the new thing would have flipped it such that the patrons had to pay for all the credit card transaction fees. And the way it worked, it disproportionately affected the $1 thing, which is crazy that they even considered this because the whole industry of Patreon is built around micropayments. Like a, yeah. whole, a whole bunch of people get together and give not so much money such that things can work. And it just like how they like how they sat around the boardroom and thought that this was a good idea is beyond me. Like, and the thing is as well, just, I, I know this is very kind of like creator centric. It doesn't make for the best, the best uh, listening, but I just want to talk about it. it. Like this is a total non problem. Like they're making out like maybe, maybe there are creators around the place who feel deeply hurt by having to pay the transaction fees. But I just see that as like a convenience cost, you know, like a cost for using the service. And mm -hmm. what is, it? I think at worst, it's something like we get 85 cents to the dollar at the, at the lower, the lower, um, the lower bracket. 
And like coming from the YouTube world where YouTube takes 55% of what we make, this is like like manna from heaven, you know? To make 85 cents of the dollar is amazing. And then Patreon's like, no, no, our, you know, we have to support our creators. Like you're already doing that. Like there's no need to mess with this. It is fine. Stop it. And it's just, I don't know, it's just, it, I, the, I, the cynic in me is kind of like, they wanted, this is, uh, no company kind of does stuff for the benefit of its users. They do stuff for the benefit of their bottom line. And part of me thinks, yeah, the bottom line, this, this whole debacle was helping their bottom lines, line, not necessarily the creators and definitely not the Patreon. So I think you're dead yeah. right when you said uh, that they should have maybe thought about this first. And not had to backtrack, but they've gained some trust back in backtracking. Um, but yeah, yeah, there was a period of time there was like, I'm, I don't know if this is entirely ethical to be on a, on the platform where it, the platform screws the user so badly, like the user as in you guys, the Patreons, because that's not cool. Like, you know, if YouTube screws us as video makers, fine, you still get to use your plat- the platform. And nothing changes for you, the end users. But when you screw the end users, you got a big problem there. And so I was very angry when that happened, Bill. Very, very angry. And I'm less angry now. <laughs> and I saw comments to the effect that someone defended it by saying it would be good for the larger creators on who use the platform. That it wouldn't be, you know, it might affect smaller creators, but anyone who's, who's doing well out of it will, will benefit. But like then you're no different than a record label or, or a publishing company or something <laughs> you yeah. know you're that that's taking away the benefit of of the of the platform yeah exactly that t- takes away the whole idea that anyone could have a goal like if you have an interesting idea with a small but dedicated um community of fans around that you can make a go at it yeah but like the, the yeah that's a that's a complete non-argument like the idea that like right yeah like like 10 10 or so creators 10 or so of the biggest creators will just take everything like that's that's a complete non-argument that's silly the whole thing is silly and there's there's no good argument for what it is they were planning to do uh, and yeah thankfully they they've stopped which is nice um so yeah there so tldr uh, no payment on this one. We'll just put it up for free. Uh, Merry Christmas. And um, yeah, we'll get back to normal in the new year. Absolutely. Cool. Now, another thing before we do follow proper is uh, I just wanted to note because it made me feel kind of nice. We've reached two base 10 milestones. I know it should be base 12, but you know, there's historic precedent for doing base 10 here. Um, <laughs> the Reddit uh, passed a thousand... Um, subscribers is that the word for the reddit to be subs- yeah yeah subscribe yeah you subscribe to subreddits yeah they we passed a thousand oh, one thousand two hundred and seventy three now yeah we passed it a little while back but I, to be honest i don't really look at the metrics much on reddit i just kind of go there to chat um but i happened mm. to look at them just today and was like oh look we crossed a thousand uh and the youtube the podcast youtube channel also crossed a thousand so i mean oh, relative to to the main artifacts channel these are not huge numbers but it always feels really yeah. nice it's kind of like ah oh, cool that's really cool so just a thank you everyone. see on 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 this, you're carrying some dead weight, where, whereas in the main artifacts scene, it's just it's just pure lean, sleek Edgar, one hundred percent of the time. You don't have you don't have the dead weight on on that, but here, you know, you you've got all this extra burden. Sleek and Edgar are two words that do not go together. <laughs> sure, you're barely there. Bare, oh yeah, yeah, that's true. I am. Oh, yeah, that, that's that's fair. <laughs> 
Uh, but it was just kind of a cool milestone. So thanks, thanks to everyone who like subscribed to the Reddit and, and the YouTube channel. It's really cool. Um, and it's yeah, it's nice to see that people are, people are listening. So yeah, it makes it makes us feel really good. Absolutely. Um, all right. So do you want to do follow proper? Sure. We have an email here from Sid H, who I think may have emailed us before. Mm-hmm. It looks it's a somewhat familiar name. Yep. Um, and we were talking in a recent podcast about a language, uh, the language of the AVOX, you know, a language where we don't use the sounds of the tongue. Mm-hmm. And so that got Sid thinking about languages that don't use speech, which, again, we talked about uh, way, way back. Um, they had an idea that you could turn facial movements and expressions into a language. For example, movement of the eye in directions in a certain pattern could be a word. The writing system could be a kind of featural system where movement is presented graphically. Um, a smile could be written or carved as a curve. Uh, a one expression could, could convey one idea rather than a string of expressions making a word. Although because of the limited amount of distinguishable expressions, some words would have to be a string. Do you have any thoughts on this idea or additions to it? Um, that's, this is quite interesting. Uh, it would be curious to see to what extent... Oh, I mean, obviously, the, 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 the obvious analogue here is with signed languages. Um, mm. That's something that's done uh, physically and visually. Um, so it seems kind of like, like an, an obvious parallel. But I would suspect that by taking in the whole array of things we can do with our arms and our hands and our fingers in combination you could probably get a lot more information density there than with just what you can do with your face. And I'm not sure, but I suspect that maybe not formally, but as, as in spoken language, facial expressions will, will influence sign language. I mean, if you, if you say the exact same thing with different facial expressions, it can have a different meaning. So I'm going to assume it's going to be the same for sign languages. Mm-hmm. I mean, it will have a different uh, pragmatic meaning, not a different semantic meaning. Um, but despite and also yeah I, I think we would be able to do less with your face is kind of the point I'm getting at there um, but I think this is a really interesting idea um, I'm not aware of anyone have, having done this before um, and I'm thinking I think different people would have different uh, levels of ability to articulate different parts of their face like I can I can move my ears um, and I can <laughs> What? I can. You can move your ears? Yeah. Huh. That's it. I can't move my ears. Could you roll your tongue? No, I can't. I can't curl my tongue up. And I, I, um, I can flare my nostrils. I can't flare um, my nostrils. That's, that's what I can't. I can't move my eyes independently, which some people can. What? I can't move my eyes independently. No, no, no I heard you. That was like exclamation mark what? People can move their eyes independently. Yeah. Uh, how? how? Like, what? Hold it's on. Just a, like, it's a thing people can do. Really? This, yeah. isn't, this isn't the thing, though, where you, like, you look to the side, and then you, like, yeah, you, like, look to your left-hand side, and then go cross-eyed, and it gives the illusion that the left-facing eye, from the person's perspective, is, is moving independently, when it's not really. I don't know. Hmm. People can move their eyes independently. That's 
I'm pretty sure your your doubt is is making like the fact that you're so surprised by it is making me making me hold on hold on let me suspicious now yeah independent eye control yeah hold on like 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 the reverse of crossing your eyes like people can make their eyes go in opposite directions oh no no that's weird no that's that's oh god uh, nope, 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 not for that. <laughs> I have nev- I rem- never seen that before, and that is horrifying. <laughs> I I remember seeing somewhere, um, or hearing somewhere that, like some some kind of specific helicopter pilot, um, in in some military role had to learn, like like uh, to to qualify for that that position, you had to learn to move your eyes independently so you can keep track of all the different things that, like, the, the pilot have to see. Wait, hold on. So, this is a learned skill. I thought this would be, uh, then, like, ear movement where you either can or can't do it. I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, it's, it, I'm, I don't have a lot of scientific data on this, but I, I remember hearing that all right, yeah. Hmm. That's fascinating. I never realised this was a thing. There you go. Yeah. Um... The uh, problems I have with the language, if I may, sorry, Sid. Yep. Uh, is, uh, I suppose sign language s- suffers from this as well, uh, given the constraints, but I think the facial expression language will suffer from it more, is that communication, like, at a distance and in less than optimal conditions is going to be really difficult. Um, mm. That would be a factor to take in, because, I mean, like, even just from, like, a person standing across the road, if they're like moving their eyes in a certain way, like you, you, I may or may not pick up on that. Do you know what I mean? But at least with sign language, you have like elaborate hand movements and you can do it at a distance. So the, yeah, the distance factor is reduced with that language. And also yeah. I think it would lose, I think as conlangers, we sometimes forget about the importance of like, ah, uh, what's the term for these things? Like non, like, Oh, there's a word for it, but like non-dictionary meanings, like oh, like oh, it's extra, extra lexical or something like that. But like you know, the idea of like a smile or a nod or rolling your eyes up to heaven, they kind of are, like are important, sort of um, kind of like paralinguistic, paralinguistic, yeah, yeah, paralinguistic stuff. They're kind of important supplementary things to an actual language, and I think the la- a language would be a, a lot less richer if it didn't have all that stuff, as in if all that stuff had to be the language and you didn't have anything to yeah. supplement the language. Um, now, obviously, if there's some sort of physical st- constraint that makes it such that you must do a facial expression language, that point is null and void. But if you're just making a facial expression language just because you think it's cool, I think it's really sad that you lose all the paralinguistic stuff. Because yeah. there's a lot of important meaning in it. Uh, I like I like the feature though. I like the idea that like a smile would be literally prescribed, like uh, literally written down like a smile. I think that's really really cool. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's it's tough, and I think this whole this whole thing, this whole challenge that you set out to people is a really tough thing because <laughs> <laughs> the constraints are so difficult. And I love the way people keep emailing with like suggestions. And I was like, uh, when you mentioned that back in the earlier show, I was like, no one's ever going to write in. This is too... Because that was like the third episode or something. <laughs> yeah, and we're still getting emails of people being like, I've cracked it, I've got one. And it's like, you know, like fair play to everyone for giving us a go because I would have just been like, no, nah, man, I'm watching Netflix instead. 
but yeah, a cool concept, but there's a, there, yeah, there would be a lot of problems. Uh, or, or unless, the, actually the other point I was meant to say, unless this facial expression language is perhaps for some sort of alien, in which case you can give them like, you know, big heads or, you know, tentacles or whatever. Yeah. And that counts as facial expression, in which case there might be actually a really rich vocabulary to explore there. But in terms of like facial expression language languages for humans, there's lots of problems with like, yeah, distance and uh, recognition and things like that. So that, 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 those or are my thoughts. It could be um, like a, a secret language, like a way of, of uh, like covertly communicating. Um, like if you're in a situation where you can't make a, where you, where you can't say something, um, for fear of being discovered, or you need to, you know, you need to convey a message for whatever reason silently. You could use this. It's quite interesting from that point of view. Like how there used to be, um, do you ever see there were stories of I think it was American prisoners of war in Vietnam that were forced to to give interviews, um, and record interviews as, uh, saying that they had changed allegiance and they were they were supporters of the of the North Vietnamese now, um, and they blinked messages in Morse code. And the their captors never picked up on this, and the footage was shown in America, and it was seen that they were, like, you know, looking for help or, or sending out a message that they, they didn't actually believe this, what they were being forced to say. Oh, wow. I never heard Isn't of that. Isn't that cool? Isn't that really cool? cool? That's really cool. How... How would the Vietnamese people not pick up on this? Like to he it was it was the guy who was blinking a lot, but they didn't pick up that it was specifically blinking Morse code. Apparently, is how the story goes. Jeez, uh, I if I was them, I would have been like, "What's wrong with this?" Ch-? Like immediately, I would have been like, "There's something up here." Like, why is he blinking a thousand times a second here? Well, he can do it quite slowly. Yeah, I suppose. Yeah, yeah. Well, well done to them for like yeah evading evading that way. That's really cool. Um. But yeah, yeah, I suppose there there will be a kind of a component to that. But also, like, you know, the flip side of that argument is that we kind of already do this with our language. Um, you know, one does not need to invent an entire language to be able to communicate like this. We, we, we can do this. Um, oh. Like, the way the way you said about when you can't speak, for example, you'd use, like, how many times have you been at a party, for example, and, you know you want to talk to someone and you, you can't get their, de- like, or you can't, like, call them or whatever and they're looking at you and you just kind of roll your eyes and nod your head backwards and that is, that means come over here. Like, we do this, we do this already in our language. Yeah, but it's not, it's not, it's, it's not a language. That's, that's paralinguistic again. So this is taking the mechanisms that we use for, for paralinguistic purposes and making something more linguistic yeah that's fair and i think the 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 problem with the facial thing again is also that you just don't want to make a paralinguistic clone do you know what i mean as in you don't want to just like notate all the paralinguistic stuff that we do and then go hey language when it wouldn't really be a language just like 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 the point you made there um yeah like if you're going to do it you have to make an actual genuine language and not just a notation of what we do um i think but yeah, but it's a, but it's an interesting idea. Uh, I might I might sound like I'm coming across overly critical of it. I'm like I actually think it's kind of cool. Um, mm-hmm. It's an interesting idea. It'd be be interesting to see where it goes. You know. Agreed. Um, anything else in the mailbag? Anything else in the mailbag? Uh, we've got one more. Let me check here. Um, 
we've got an email from Nico Lepka. And yeah, they've, they've written an RPG system. Now I, I only saw this yesterday. I, I hadn't checked the emails for a, a little while. Um, so I haven't had a chance to read it, but, um, I guess we can throw the link in the show notes. Yeah, I would say that they open up their email saying, hey, you guys have experience with RPGs. Now, Bill has some experience with RPGs. I have minimal. Like, I enjoy the concept of them, and if they were to happen, I'd try and come along. Uh, But Mm. my experience is very, very minimal. So if it's okay with Nico, I think we should put this in the show notes. And we should let people who perhaps have more experience go through it. Because so TLDR, what they've done is they've worked on their own RPG and they're looking for some feedback. So if there's anyone in Artifexia who knows a lot about RPGs, have a look. And I think that could be more of more benefit to you, Nico, than we could be. Uh, but I did have a look through it, and uh, from my perspective, it looked solid. Like it read, it read like like a D&D a rule book sort of thing. There was nothing in it where I was kind of like, this seems stupid or this is weird. It all looked really solid. And had I not realized it came from someone from Artifexia, it would have been like a sort of professional publication sort of thing. So yeah, I think it looks really good. The The thing that I want to bring up kind of as a meta point around all of this, uh, and I wanted to talk to you, Bill, about it, is the idea of how accessible RPGs are. Because Every time I pick up like a Pathfinder uh, handbook or Nico's work, they're always really dense. I I get the impression that unless you've grown up with RPGs or have been involved in them for a long time, they're really hard to get into. Like the concept of me becoming a GM right now is just crazy because the amount of literature you have to like go through. Mm -hmm. So I wonder, is is there a market for someone creating an RPG that's like, extremely accessible now nico has done something like that here but i'm talking like you can hand it to anyone and they can kind of get in get into it they don't have to have any preconceived notions about rpgs thoughts on that um i yeah i think i think there is there's a couple of ways of of doing that but i think having enough rules to be able to deal with different situations um, is, is part of what makes it an RPG rather than a, a very scripted board game or something or just like literally playing out a scenario like you, you, you have to you have to build into it flexibility for the characters to make decisions um, and if you're playing Pluto you know you can't you know, take a sledgehammer and break down the wall between two of the rooms, um, because that's not how the game works. You have to, you know, go by the game board, um. But you can do that in an RPG, and you have to be able to account for players doing stuff like that. Um. So there, there is a, there is an inherent complexity in in the concept because of the unpredictableness, the unpredictability. Of player characters. Yeah, but like, does that necessarily require a tome worth of rules? Like, no, it doesn't. Yeah, because and I'm... not not everything. I don't think every game system necessarily does have that. Um, I think there. It's kind of seen. There's two approaches into game design. There's a simulationist, and I think just 
gamified, something like that. I can't remember what the terms are. But one is to you know make things really realistic. You know that you you have you know a load of different skills, and you know you actually try and reflect a realistic balance of of different tasks. Um, and the other is that you make it like a game, like you can you can spend points to achieve certain things. Like there's a, there's a thing called Trail of Cthulhu mm-hmm. is is one RPG system, and you have you have points in different uh, classes or in different in different skills. So say you have a point, you have three points in investigation. You can spend a point in investigation to like find out something, or you can spend three to find out something really, really obscure, and then they're gone. Um, which is more clearly based around storytelling and how narrative works and how beats work in a film or, or in, in fiction than it is to do with realism about what people can actually do, if you get me. Yeah. yeah to be honest, the latter sounds much more appealing. The, the narrative one. Yeah, to me, because, yeah, I was mm. thinking about this last night and I was kind of like, aren't we all doing role-playing games to, like, create our narrative, you know? We're not, we're not really, like, D&D players, there is an element, obviously, of character design and, like, picking out really cool skill sets and all on feats mm-hmm. and things like that. But really, we're going there to, like, immerse ourselves in a story. Like, when we played uh, D&D, um, I enjoyed going because I was like, oh, I wonder what part of Bill's world we're now going to experience. So yeah. the latter uh, that you bring up there sounds like a way of expediting that. Like you don't have to spend many hours if you're a novice working on all of the like, you know, skills and feats and characters and understanding complex rule sets. It's kind of like show up, minimal effort, play and experience the story. That sounds much better to me than I think what D&D and Pathfinder does. Um, mm-hmm. But maybe I'm a bit basic in this regard. I don't know. Well, I mean, it's 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 just a, a a different priority. I wouldn't say the one is necessarily better than the other. Um, I my my preference would probably lean more towards simulationist. Right. Um, why? It, What's what? Yeah. What is it about that appeals to you? Because just because I like with the the example that I that I gave, you know the. You spend your, your points on investigation or research or whatever. It just sounds like it's not plausible to me. I mean, it makes sense from a, a story point of view that you, you don't want one character in the story of, you know, an, of an ensemble cast doing everything. But just because I won a fight yesterday doesn't mean that I shouldn't be able to win a fight today. Like, it's... Uh... Hmm, but then do you get aggravated around other games that aren't tabletop that have a similar mechanic, like a currency sort of mechanic? No, but if it's if it's presented as as currency, then it's not the same thing. No, well, I mean not... currency, a currency as in like you have X points, you could spend them to do whatever. Like I'm not saying literal, like 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 you like you have mana or something. Yeah, that sort of thing. Like, like, do you get aggravated if you were to play a PlayStation game, for example, and it had a mechanic like that, like the mage spends two magic to be able to do whatever, or like the example you use, you spend two of your investigation points. Like, is is it something that's tied to the table? No, because that, that's that's more gamified for me because it's it's just represents a like a, a recharging of power or something. I don't know. It, that makes a lot more sense to me. 
Okay. Hmm. Interesting. Well, you and I, it never ceases to amaze me how different you and I are. <laughs> With like nearly everything, I'm kind of like, oh, I like it this way. And then you're always on the polar opposite. And yet somehow we get on, which I think is great. <laughs> do we? <laughs> do we do we really know? <laughs> do we really? I'm in it for the lost mornings and the hours and hours of having to listen to Edgar. That's what I'm in it for. <laughs> I um, only like the things I hate. <laughs> <laughs> I, I again just to just summarize the whole thing. I, I, I am firmly in the belief though, I think that, that there is a need for someone to create a more novice friendly system. Um because I should have put this at the start of the, the whole sh- the whole bit, but I didn't. Uh, I was approached about doing a, another D&D um, session, mm-hmm. uh, like joining in. And I hadn't played since we played in college. And the guy shows up and I was like, uh, okay, what do you want me to play as? And then he, uh, he was like, what? And I was like, yeah, just, just tell me what you're missing and I will be that character. Like, I'm not interested in sitting down and doing all the crafting sort of nonsense crafting a character and all that just i want to show up and experience the story and it's like no 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 we don't do that and then we sat there for ages going over like oh if you choose this then at like level 10 you'll have like this and then oh but maybe it'd be better idea to choose this thing and then when you get to there do this thing and i'm like my brain is melted like Mm. like no comprende like it's it's just why, why can't it just be like a simple sort of like mage there we go like I don't I like and I just it's yeah. it's it's I, I don't know maybe maybe there's just a lot of bloatware in the Pathfinder and D&D sort of thing that is is a bit uh, opaque and yeah. splat too- is the is the local the, the local uh, term for when when there's too many books splat yeah oh okay Spl- splat books is, Wait, is like so so it's well, hang on so so it's a known problem then yeah, yeah, having too many options is a no, but that's that's different. That's 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 a kind of another design issue. It's it's not the same as the simulationist versus game, right? But it also um, it it, ex- it extends into rules as well, though, where there's like too many rules, like too many too many available options in the rule set. Whereas I think yeah. a much more minimalist approach in terms of like the rule set and character design and skills and feats. It would be better for uh for non seasoned players. I'd imagine the yeah. hardcore D. Well, that's up to a GM to to say we are going to use the, these rules and this is what's allowed in the game. Like you could you could say we're only going to use the core rulebook. You know we're not going to have any of the the like weird variance skill systems or like um experimental classes from other rulebooks. We're just going to use the core rulebook. Okay, does, does the core rulebook run a lot of bloatware? Or would you consider that to be a rather sleek document? I mean, it's it's fairly comprehensive, but you can do a lot with it. You could do, okay. you, I mean, you could, you could do it with less, certainly. And there, there are, there are like, um, there's the beginner box, which is a, a, a simplified and reduced version of the, of the rules for Pathfinder. Good, good. Um, that is, th- there you go. That that's all I needed to hear. <laughs> the fact okay. that the, the fact that, that that is an option for people is yeah. great because again, speaking as someone who's not heavily involved in the tabletop world, it is it is sometimes very daunting mm. approaching it. But the fact that they've made a thing for people there, I think, is great. It's a really good thing. I I don't like with beginner players like saying, oh, you, you know, if you do this, you can you can take this option at level ten. I think. It's it's more fun to to learn by playing 
what the options are. And if you know, if you make a ridiculous character your first couple of characters, then that's that's only going to be part of the fun for me. <laughs> I, yeah, I don't I don't like that the the building really mechanically that way. Yeah, that's fair actually. And I think when you sat down with me to do character creation, you you encouraged that sort of behavior. Like that druid I I built with you. You were very much kind of like what what do you like? And I was like, I'd I'd like to hit people really hard. You're like, okay, this is this is how we do that. And then you encourage stuff like maybe take a flaw, like take a hit on something. But there was no there was no talk of kind of like, all right, you want to be a druid, great. At level five, it'll be this, and you'll have that. Yeah. Um. So yeah, maybe a lot of my um negative response to tabletops maybe based on like the people I've been surrounded by barring yeah you. I'm just a great GM as one of those Bill you're just a great human being in general this, this, this whole <laughs> podcast is here to uh, to support <laughs> that idea <laughs> stroking my ego it's all, all it's about um, but yeah anyhow so yeah it, uh, what you call I will I will tweet at, at Nico and see if he's okay with this uh, see if they're okay with this going in the show notes because uh, I think we're not the best people to criticise this work and pick it apart. I think there'll be someone in Artifexia who mm-hmm. will be a um, as close to an expert as we can get. Sure. Cool. All right. Shall we do some follow up? Um, I've got one. I've got one more. Um, well, is it, this is kind of follow up, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. It's all the same. <laughs> it's it's all one big thing. Yeah. Go on. What are you gonna say? I've got one more um, uh, quick point to make um, from from uh, follow-up-y stuff before we move on to Reddit. Cool. Um, I encountered an artifacts fan in the wild. Again? Again. Again? <laughs> yes. Uh, okay. Was this in the wild in the wild or was this in the wild on the internet? On the internet. Okay. T- tell us the story. I will. I will sit back, regale us with the tale. It's it's very brief, but it was like, in fact only last night on one of the um, conlanging groups on Facebook, someone posted uh, the question, "How do I start a conlang?" So I linked your "How to Create a Language" playlist. Thanks, man. And I was recognised by another commenter. So Thomas, hello, if you're listening. Hi, Thomas. Um, and he says uh, he's been listening to. He's on his fourth listen through. He's fourth apparently so so he says thomas okay like <laughs> uh, like i don't know like is are you okay man <laughs> is this like this is not normal behavior man i'd get this scene to listen to us like listen to us once is is, is enough Edgar, Four? Edgar, if, if anything <laughs> if if anything this is exemplary behavior oh okay oh i see okay sorry bill, <laughs> bill has his marketing hat on yes Artifacts. <laughs> we all need to take a leave out of thomas's book and we need to listen to the show on repeat <laughs> um and yeah he he uh, plugged the the podcast for us and oh, cool. so was, and he said he was looking forward to the next episode so uh well, here's the next episode. <laughs> here's, here's and, hope, but uh, it's not a major disappointment. Uh, good, good to e meet you, and thanks for the support. Um, cool, that's really cool. You're, you keep seeing everyone, huh? That's I'm, well, that's that's twice now. That's twice now. I haven't recognised it, like you know, in meet space yet. In meet space. <laughs> um, you know, remember the last uh, episode where we published the video uh, live? Yeah. 
And I pinned your first tweet. It was really funny where people were kind of like, why did Artifexian pin this tweet? Because they obviously aren't podcast listeners, so they don't know the name Bill McGrath. (laughs) (laughs) Excellent. There was a lot of confusion. I was kind of like, yes, I like, this is good. Who's this guy? (laughs) Uh, Yeah. Hi, Thomas. Thanks for listening. Uh, Yeah, it's really cool. Uh, Can I say a thing then about Bill? Because that's a nice tangent into this this next Reddit topic. Yeah. Uh, so okay. we got a comment on the Reddit from a heptavolt, a u slash heptavolt, who who writes tonight I stopped for gas and the tiny TV screen started playing a sports highlight fe- a sports highlight featuring dot 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 I couldn't believe my eyes dot 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 Bill. Napoleon. And I, when I read this, I was like, we made it on the telly? What's happening? And then it turns out, and I don't know if you have the link in front of you. If not, I will send it to you. There is a guy who is like a, a, an is NFL? Uh, yeah, he's like an NFL analyst whose name is literally Bill Polian. Like, first name Bill, <laughs> second name Polian. And it was just great. So there was a moment of going, oh my God, we've made it, we've gone mainstream. And then a moment of going, no, we haven't, but this is hilarious. So I just wanted to put that on the show. Bill Polian is an actual thing. So not only has Bill Murray completely, uh, like, all over the Bill Polian thing, there's an actual real-life Bill Polian as well. And it's like, oh, I can't catch a break here. Like... <laughs> Uh, we got a, another uh, another interesting comment on the Reddit uh, that I want to bring up, and this is from friend of the show Zidnaf, um, who who messaged me uh, privately and was like, "I'm really sorry about the comment I just left. It's a bit harsh." Um, he, he was not at all impressed with our misunderstanding of what a pigeon, uh, what pigeons and creoles are. So, for the sake of rightness, I'm I'm going to read it out. But before I do, I just need to state because this is a good point I- to bring up in general. Um, most of what we talk about on this show, we don't have a clue about. Like we're the, the whole the show is kind of meant to be two guys who like this uh, shared hobby get together and talk about it and extemporize on it. Um, most of the time. I, like, I haven't done a whole load of research into a thing and something will come up and be like, oh, I should bring that up with Bill and have a chat and then if it piques my interest afterwards, I'll go research it properly. So please don't hold what we say on the podcast to an extremely high standard. It's 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 very, very conversational. And I think that's important. Um, assume that we are wrong all the time. Don't be like, oh, they said that on the podcast. It must Speak be Speak for yourself. Bill, Bill, <laughs> Bill, don't even lie. I know you're not doing hours and hours of research. Because the thing is, I am envious of you and your ability to show up and know all this stuff off the fly. Like, it's crazy. I didn't say I was doing hours and hours of research. I said that I don't. I just said that I don't know. I don't not know what I'm talking about all of the time. Well, I, I, I'm... I, I'd say, okay, same. I, I'm obviously not. <laughs> I, I obviously know what I'm speaking about sometimes, but just as a general thing, assume on podcasts. I think in general that it, assume conversationality uh, and assume that it's not research. That's I think that's really important. You know, like we're not presenting something. Well, I hope we're not presenting a thing as like being extremely factual. You know, like I said, mm-hmm. now we're going to tell you the state of whatever we're talking about things, and there's going to lead to a whole lot of speculation. And a whole load of like back and forth and throwing ideas around and being like, 
what even is a language? I don't know what a language is. Maybe it's this. Oh, I was thinking it's more like that. It's We're bouncing ideas. So um, I think that's important to bring up. Anyhow, Zidnaf writes, so with all due respect, I get the impression that Bill and Edgar maybe don't know what technically a language, what technically makes a language a pidgin or a creole. A pidgin is a language that arises when two linguistic groups without a language in common create a simple means to communicate with each other based on one or both, usually both, of their languages. Part of the definition is that the resulting languages ha language has a very limited vocabulary and very simple grammatical rules, simpler than either of the source languages. It's a sort of lowest common denominator of the two languages. Another part of the definition is that no one speaks it natively. If anyone speaks it natively, that's a pigeon. That's not a pigeon. It's a creole. A creole then is a language with a community of native speakers that evolved out of a pigeon. Creoles happen when children are exposed to pigeons so much that it becomes a native language for them. However, creoles are much more complicated than pigeons, since they kind of need to be for people to actually use them in a broad set of contexts in normal everyday life. And Zidnaf goes on after that. But I think that's, uh, I'm assuming Zidnaf knows what he's talking about. That sounds like a pretty solid definition of what pigeons and creoles are. And also, there's a whole load of people on the subreddit who pointed out that, uh, you know, all the reasons why English uh, couldn't be considered like a pigeon or a creole or French and how uh, you can't just make a language and call it a pigeon or a creole because there's a whole, all these sort of things to it. So just want to put it on the show for sake of rightness. Mm -hmm. That, assuming Zidnaf is correct, is what a pigeon and what a creole is. And we were speculating in the last yeah. show. Yeah. That's, yeah, that, that, that's all entirely fair and there's nothing to to worry about there, Zidnaf. Um, my... My question is uh, about like making a language and saying that it's a pigeon, um, yeah. or saying that it's a pigeon or a creole, um, and I've I've I posted this as as a, a reply to Zidnaf's comment uh, yesterday. Um, if if someone was to encounter a language, like say they had uh, sample texts and they had a grammar of a language, um, would they? Would it be possible for a linguist to to identify to reasonably consistently identify it as a pigeon or a creole? Uh, let's let's say a creole uh, to identify it as a creole without knowing anything about languages it was it was derived from. If they were just given this language, could they look at it and based on its features say, "I think this is a creole"? That seems unlikely to me. Yeah, sort of like seeing it out of context. Um... Yeah, yeah, like. Like if you were just given, say, okay, or, or say you're given you're given four texts, four 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 languages, and you've got like texts and grammars and things, um, would would you be would a linguist reliably be able to identify which one is a creole? Hmm. My, based on no information, my gut would say no. Um. In which case, I don't see I. I would say it's not unreasonable to create a language and say this language is a pigeon, like in in a common setting. Yeah, uh, not a creole. Like a, maybe a pigeon would be easier to identify because of the basic nature. Like if you have, yeah, like if we assume the pigeons are basic uh, in their uh, morphology, for example, um, 
you might be able to spot that. But if you were like, where Creole seemed to be more complicated, so maybe then that would make it harder to identify. Um, what what's the difference between basic morphology and complex mor- mor- morphology? I mean, just like, more more limited, just more limited. Like if you have a fully like if someone if someone were to present like Elvish or like uh, whatever it's called, a uh, Cinderin, Cinderin, is that the sure. name of thing? I don't know. Okay, I, I think it's Cinder. One, one, a Quenya. There we go. Uh, let's, let's. If you take Quenya and you hand a Quenya to a linguist, like that's got like a big, deep, uh, like vocabulary, and there's lots going on, and it's sure. like, fully fleshed out. So I would imagine the linguist then would be, if asked, "Is this a pigeon?" They'd be kind of like, "Maybe there's a bit much here to be a pigeon. Maybe it's Creole. I yeah. don't know." But I, I still think your point stands though from earlier that out of context, yeah, I don't see how one could identify because I'm assuming the only if way you, if you were given comparative examples of usage, then if you were just given like language used for trade and stuff that you know you didn't have that that outside context, like oh well, here's the here's its. Uh, great ancestral epic poem literature it's probably not going to be a pigeon <laughs> yeah that's fair yeah I, I i think you're correct though i think i think you are right um i, I would, yeah, I would I, be curious to, to 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 see an answer for that is all yeah 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 it'd be interesting to see um but yeah so far i'm with you on that uh anyhow tldr thanks for writing in zidnaf uh as always we appreciate when people call out any sort of like uh, blunders that we make and things like that. It's, it's really important. No, absolutely. Um, yeah, and that was a really nice. That's how you uh, get better. That's how you get better, slowly but surely and begrudgingly. Um, the the uh, <laughs> <laughs> what's it called it? Uh, that was a really nice summation of what pigeons and creoles are, and I think that just helped uh, solidify an awful lot of the back and forth we did in the last episode. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, all right, cool. Shall we go on to our Christmas tradition of listening of of talking about Star Wars. Let's do it. Let's do it. Okay, so Star Wars: The Last Jedi. Star Wars: Astral Conflicts, Ultimate Wizards. <laughs> yes, Astral Conflicts, Ultimate Wizards. Um, in breaking with our tradition of going down to your house at Christmas time and watching it, uh events unfolded such that that couldn't happen this year so we had to we had to watch it separately which was very sad separately very sad very very sad indeed um so i have no idea about your reaction to this film and you have no idea about mine because i have not read your stuff online and i have not posted anything so we are really going Mm -hmm. into this fresh so i have completely fresh i am dying to hear what did you think i didn't like it you didn't like it. Do you want to give a brief, no. brief sort of TLDR on that before we pick it apart? Um, okay, I I enjoyed the experience of watching it up until the final act, more or less. It was way too long. Right. I felt it was way, way too long. Um, like I, 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 I thought it could have ended, time-wise, it could have ended... Okay, spoilers from this point, by the way. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, time-wise, I thought it could have ended around the the, the bit where they uh, landed on the salt planes, the planet with the salt planes, like the final act. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I just, I just, you know, it just kind of it kept dragging on for me from that point. Um, there was there was stuff I enjoyed in it. Uh, I think Kylo Ren is a great villain. I really like Kylo Ren. 
um, as as a as a character. Um, and there were a couple, the the fight scene against Snoke, like in Snoke's big chamber, and then fighting his kind of Imperial Guard or whatever. That was pretty cool. Um, it was it was a little maybe a, a little uh, overwrought uh, and at, at points, but you know it was it was impressive. Uh, but as I said, I I felt it was overlong, and I felt that they kept trying to to do things and then pulling away from it. Like the, there was my my issue largely with the Force Awakens was that uh, it was essentially a a straight remake of New Hope. It was mm. it was practically identical, and it was really interesting in this film to see how the 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 younger characters, the newer generation of characters, interacted with the older generation of characters. Um, as you know, because at the end of the the Force Awakens, uh, or near the end of Force Awakens, Kylo Ren kills Han Solo, so he can no longer be an influence. And then for a lot of this film. Luke refuses to act. He he won't do anything. He he he's kind of in the sort of depressive, morose state and in in seclusion. And General Organa is out there doing stuff, but she's um constricted by circumstances. She doesn't um have the power to do things really. And then a little way into the film, she's incapacitated. Uh-huh. So they've they've neutered the the older characters that that kind of dominated the the universe so far. Um, and they, they, the younger characters, Faye, uh, sorry, Finn and Ray and Poe, are are fixing things. Um, and there's this really symbolic moment after the fight between Kylo Ren and Ray in Snoke's chamber, where they're they're fighting for possession of Luke's lightsaber, and then it breaks in two. They're like they're both they're both force pulling on it, so, such that it comes apart. And I was like, that's class. That's a really powerful symbolic moment. It's rejecting the idea that the, these characters are just living in the shadow of the previous generation and they're creating their own stories. That's taking Luke out of the equation, you know, breaking his lightsaber. That's really visually powerful and symbolically powerful. And I thought, this is great. This is absolutely brilliant. And then at the end, Luke shows up and saves the day. And it just, it, ru- it ruined it for me. It ruined that moment for me. And then that fight with Luke at the end, um, the, like, the, they kept kind of having things happen and then faking out on them. So, you know, Luke, Luke turns up and then the the First Order, they, they shoot him with all their artillery and stuff and he walks out unscathed. And you're like, oh no, Luke's been killed, but he actually he's fine. And then he goes down and he fights, uh, fights uh, Kylo Ren and... At one point, you know, Kylo Ren, like, slices the lightsaber through him, but actually Luke's fine. And it's like, oh, okay, this is getting kind of weird. Um, so now you've, you've kind of cheated us twice. And then it turns out Luke was just a ghost anyway, so it doesn't matter. Like, <laughs> they, they kept doing things and then undercutting the import and the relevance of the things they were doing. And it just, it felt really, everything felt really irrelevant to me. Hmm. That's my... Well, TLDR isn't really. <laughs> that's that's my the short version. <laughs> uh, how do you think I responded to this film? I have I have no idea whatsoever. Like good instinct. Do you think this would be an Edgar film or not an Edgar film? Um, 
I don't want to say anyone who likes it is bad or wrong, but I just want to make that clear. <laughs> um, I'm going to go with didn't like it. Okay. More or less on a coin flip. Okay. I didn't like it. Okay. I did not like the film. Uh, it was... Because it was doing something different, I'm inclined mm-hmm. to put it above Force Awakens in terms of um, how good a film it is. Uh, but it wasn't, it was not a good film. Yeah. Um, it was, yeah, I think you're dead right. It's, it was way too long. Uh, I hated every bit of humor they tried to put in that film. The humor was oh, God. obnoxious. It was, there was a lot of really bad stuff in it. Yeah. Really, really terrible stuff. Um, I hated every single animal in the film. They were all stupid. And they didn't need to be there, and I hated them, especially those little owl things that lived on Luke's island. Just like, yeah. stop it! It's just stupid. Like, what are we doing? Um, I, I disliked. Yeah, you like Kylo Ren. I now do not like Kylo Ren. Uh, they've, okay. they've, they've gone. I don't know. They've done. I, I can't decide. Have they done weird stuff with Kylo Ren, or have they just not done anything with Kylo Ren? But he's gone from kind of being like a cool, mysterious bad guy to just like a little bit lost. Like, I don't understand his purpose at all. Like, why is he so obsessed with the dark side? Like, what is his driving force? Like, that's not really a thing. Like, I think it's like he wants to be Vader. Okay, fine. But that's not exactly an entirely like... You don't have, that's not, that doesn't get the hooks in, so to speak. Like, and then mm. because of that, it's kind of like, well, why is he fighting with the light side? But we haven't really established why it was a dark side. Like, as bad as Anakin in the prequels were, was, like, we understood why he was turning dark. Like, you know, abandonment and anger over what's happened to his mother and, you know, anger at the Jedi Order for being like, um, for supposedly or in his mind being corrupted and things like that we there was a reason for it but i act i can't think of a reason for kylo to to be like that other than he's just an angry teenager which may be the point i just don't like it um yeah it's the whole yeah the whole thing was just a bit of a mess uh flying flying uh leia was one of the stupidest things i've ever seen in my life like what were they doing? <laughs> like, what? The love story between Finn and Rose was like so ham fisted that when they kissed at oh, the end, God, I was like, yeah. I was like, oh, that was a thing? Wait, you didn't set that up well at all. Where did that come from? It was ridiculous. Like, yeah. and it's like, it just, the, yeah, the whole thing is, is awful. And then, like, the decision making on behalf of everyone on the film is shocking. Like, you won the commander or the admiral, admiral who takes over when Leia is incapacitated. Why don't you just tell your underlings that you have this plan instead of going, like, I'm not telling you anything. Guess, you know, stay in your station. Like, you know, tell people so that they can help with the plan. And at the same sense, like, uh, Poe and stuff, stop doing things that just undermine everything that you're trying to achieve. Mm. And it's like, yeah, the whole the whole thing is is just, it was just, it was just, it really wasn't very good at all. And I think, you know what the sad thing is? I think I am done with Star Wars. I think, really? I think I'm done. I think there is, I don't, I was sitting in the, in the theater last night. I was kind of like, why am I here? Like, what am I doing? <laughs> like, it's like, there, there is no, I'm only going to this thing because it's an established thing. 
like the past five movies have been underwhelming, uh, excluding Rogue One, have been horrifically underwhelming, some more than others. And it's like, I'm going to this because it's Star Wars. And it's the only reason, you know? There's nothing in this universe anymore that I like, so why am I doing it? So I, I imagine when the next film rolls along, uh, I'm going to think twice about going um, to it because, you know, like, why am I contributing money to this, like, like corporate sort of, like, yeah, like, Marvel Marvelized universe sort of thing? Like, it's just, yeah, it's not for me anymore. I think, I think they, Disney have taken it and have properly killed it, I think. Are they worse than the prequels? Now, see, all right, now here's the thing where people are going to get very angry at me. I like the prequels. <laughs> because, all right, so this is, it's hard to explain with the prequels because, well, no, it's not. It's just, it, it, it's hard to explain from a logical point of view. The prequels came at just the right time. Like I was, I think, 12 or something. Uh, when yeah. Phantom Menace hit. So I was pr- like the correct age for them. And like everything about Phantom Menace at a movie, f- uh, as a movie for a 12 year old was amazing. Like I loved it. Like it had a, a sense of adventure and it had like intrigue and the characters were cool. I even liked Jar Jar as a 12 year old. It's only now that I've grown up and uh, like can reflect back on it and look at it from a movie making point of view that I don't like it. But it imprinted on me. Attack of the Clones, less so. Uh, and then the third one was really is a really good movie. Um, but they kind of imprinted on me. And nothing that is happening now is imprinting on me at all. So from a emotional point of view, the prequels are working better than these on me. Uh, right. <laughs> it is that is not a logical position to have because they're objectively not good films. Um, but I'm still of the opinion that no Star Wars film is a good film. There are good Star Wars films and there are bad Star Wars films, but none of the films are good films in a filmic sort of sense, I think. Right. Um, so yeah, I was, I was, I was disappointed, Bill, and I'm a little bit saddened, you know? Mm-hmm. And I, I, it's just, I don't know. It's, 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 it's a weird place to be yeah. in. Um, I was expecting you to like it. Really? Yeah. I, I thought you would have liked uh, some of the subversion that they were trying to do, but clearly not. <laughs> we see, I, I, I liked that they tried to do it. And had they followed through on it, I would have liked it a lot more. Your, your criticisms of Luke, though, I, th- I don't think they're entirely valid. I think what they were trying to do was, like, obviously they were going to, like, kill off Luke. Like, that was, you know, the, the, the whole thing. I thought even dead as such, though, he's ascended to the Force. Right, right, but as in, like, don't make him a character that will follow around for the rest of the films. Like, I, yeah. I feel like we're very much in kill the old things off and just start new, which is yeah. entire, which is entirely fine. And I think if you're going to kill off Luke, being like the the main man sort of thing, uh, yeah. elevate him to the point of being almost like mythological. And they did that mm-hmm. with the like with the ghost stuff, and he solved everything, and he came back. Um, so they like built him up this like demigod sort of thing, and then he went. And I think that had kind of a cool religious connotation to it. I get that. Yeah, that's fair. I get that it's very Deus Ex Machina. Like Luke comes in, saves everyone. You know, 
Um, but uh, I th- the whole film was Deus Ex Machina after Deus Ex Machina. <laughs> well, th- that's fair. Yeah, that's fair. Uh, oh, dude, dude, it was fun. The 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 Battlestar Galactica bit. I like the Battlestar Galactica bit where they're kind of like they're tracking us through light speed, and every time we like they don't jump, but every time they in the yeah. comments jump, it's like they're right behind us. And I was like, I was sitting there going really want to watch Battlestar Galactica now. <laughs> that's a, you know what made me think of Battlestar Galactica? Go on, what? At the start, when they're evacuating the, the planet, and then you, you they look up and they see the the Star Destroyers, like, come into uh, orbit. Oh, like, yeah, They, they yeah. see them jump in. Remember, the spoilers for Battlestar Galactica here, remember at the end of, is it season two or season three, where the Galactica jumps into the atmosphere of New Caprica, and, like, it launches the Vipers as it's, like, as it's dropping. Oh, yeah. And then they all land again, and then it jumps out before it hits the ground. That's, like... <laughs> I I lost my mind when I watched that bit. That was so cool. That's one of my favourite bits in television. <laughs> Battlestar Galactica is is up there with the best space media I've ever seen. Like It's, it's an amazing show for being so good for... Despite the fact that only, like, half of it, they had a clue what they were doing. Uh, oh, did they? I, I, I don't know the sort of meta stuff around it. Oh, they like they didn't have a clue where it was going when they started writing it. Like, they got to the end of season two, and then they, I think they had used up most of what they'd planned. They still didn't know who the rest of the Cylons were. They they hadn't, like, set up the thing about the, the final five turning out to be what they turned out to be. Oh. Yeah. Like, it's bananas. Like, it's just, like, like and that's why it gets so weird from season three onwards. That's why, like, it brings in the kind of the, the more religious stuff. Yeah, it was funny. When I first watched Battlestar Galactica, I didn't really like all the religious stuff. And then Mm -hmm. the religious stuff seemed to crop up more and more in the content I was consuming. Like afterwards, I had watched Deep Space Nine. And that has a heavy religious bend to it. And then when I kind of, when my brain kind of became okay with there being religious stuff in a, like a, a technological setting, I went yeah. back and had a look and I was like, no, it actually, it really works. Um, it really works. It's a really, really great show. Um, but anyway, yeah, we're not here to review Battlestar Galactica. <laughs> we're here to review um, Last Jedi, unfortunately. <laughs> uh, some more assorted points, if I may. Yeah, of course. Um, yeah, the romance was terrible. Like, I liked, I liked Rose as a character. Um, and I quite like Finn as a character, because he's kind of, he's not really a hero. He just kind of, like, he bumbles for a lot of the film, and he's kind of reluctant at the start and stuff. And I, I enjoyed that. And so I enjoyed, I enjoyed that arc. But just, like, it, it was just, it felt really, like, I, I hate, I hate romance in, in films and media in general anyway. It's, it just doesn't interest me. Um... <laughs> Yes, I grown dead inside or something, I'm sure. Uh, <laughs> no, I know. It's what makes that funny is that, like, there are entire genres just built up on being a romance. And it's like, I hate all that. Yeah. <laughs> there, I, I care about maybe one romance in, like, the history of, of the fiction I've consumed. <laughs> oh. <laughs> um. So I didn't like that. Hmm. Um. I'm just sick of the of the good guys in, in Star Wars, like, relying on luck and hope and faith and the force would you not try being good at war (laughs) like just try it like just try tactics (laughs) yeah Um, i I agree there was an awful lot of talk about like you know a hope has died today and i'm like yeah well if you don't cop on you're gonna die today yeah and like you know a lot of that is is directly Poe Dameron's fault. 
Yeah, this is the thing I was saying earlier. Like, Poe and his sort of like, I'm doing this thing now. And you're like, no, 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 yeah. hang on, hang on. Chain of command here, pal, right? Yeah. You can't just go renegade and do whatever the hell you want because you think it's a good idea. Stick to the chain of command and things will be work out fine, like. No, and I'm fine with that. In you know, as a story of like they they need to be they need to learn these lessons and they need to be um they they you know they can't be trusted and that you know their failure to observe the discipline has negative consequences and there, there's a lot of people saying well actually it's the women who solve a lot of the problems in the film until Luke comes and and saves the day at the end um you know they should have listened to Leia they should have listened to the vice admiral. Um, but they don't serve any neg- they don't suffer any negative consequences for what they did. Like every, everyone, all of their friends die and they like destroy the their resistance. But it, it's all fine in the end, by the way the film is written. Um, you know, they they just kind of get away with it and it's okay and they're still trusted. Yeah, yeah, that's so. Like wh- while while there were while there were consequences in general, they themselves did not feel them, and the writing of the film didn't show that they suffered anything. Yeah, like uh, Michael from Star Trek, she got she got court martialed. Um, yeah, for for doing stuff that like Poe Dameron did, and Poe Dameron's just like everything's fine, it's grand, everyone's mm-hmm. cool. Um, no, I to- I totally agree with that, one hundred percent agree with that. Um, yeah, it, it just yeah, they just it didn't they didn't seem to think things through logically, as in like mm-hmm. what would these characters actually do if they were if this was real, you know? Um, yeah. Yeah, that was that was pretty poor. Do, do you know one of the lowest points? If I can just jump in and throw stuff at you. Yes, um, I do know what one of the lowest points is. Oh, okay. Uh, <laughs> would it can, be, can I guess? Uh, yeah, go on. Yeah, the fight between Finn and Captain Phasma with the really terrible dialogue. No. Okay. No, clearly the lowest point is the stupid casino nonsense. That didn't really bother me one oh. way or another. It was just, it was just a, a thing. It was just another setting. Oh no, it was awful. And then the sh- although it had plucky kids at the end, and oh. it, I I'm a, I am as actively disinterested in plucky kids as I am in romance. No, uh, I'm going to disagree with you here. I don't think they were plucky kids. Uh, are are you on about the kid at the very very end? No, the, the the kids in the stables. They're only there briefly, but they annoyed me. They were like there long enough to annoy me. Okay, well, because one of the kids in the stables comes at the very, very end, and I thought that was a brilliant, a brilliant moment, um, because it wasn't plucky kids, like, they weren't doing kids' humour and jumping around the place and like, woo, this is pod racing, sort of thing. Yeah. Um, It was just a really, it was shot really well, uh, it was like, just get the kid to, like, look at the sky, you know, show the ring on their finger, just, like, don't have them do any acting and stuff, because they're children, and children are terrible yeah. on screen. So I thought they handled the kids quite well in this. The, 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 the yeah, I mean, at, at the end, I guess, but, but man, man. even then, like when they were when they were playing and telling the stories, I, at the end, I found them kind of annoying. But even just their their presence and their attire at the start was like they were trying to be the little rascals or something. Just, no, I didn't like it. <laughs> the yeah. Okay, I'm gonna have to disagree with you on the casino bit, Bill. Uh, I thought it was just like it's just it was terrible. It was so bad and like. The, I didn't like the whole style of the thing. It was really prequel, prequel-esque, like kind of decadent and shiny and not really yeah. in keeping with what I think Star Wars should should be. Um, but also like all the little gags they had in it, like the little, there was this little Monopoly Man alien who like stuffed BB-8 full of coins 
because he thought like he a was... cross between Monopoly Man and the Gremlins. Yeah, it was really weird. And it also wasn't great CGI either, which is never good. And mm. they did such a good job in Force Awakens with all of the like effects. And this one, they just didn't. And it, it kind of bugged me. But yeah, he stuffs, stuffs them full of coins. And then later on, when they're uh, rescuing the bank robber guy, like yeah. BB-8 fires out the coins at the guards. And then it's like, oh, yeah. it's just really stupid humor. And, like, maybe if I was 12 again, I would be like, oh, it's hilarious. It's great. Um, but as an, adult, uh, as an adult watching this, I'm just like, this is, this is kind of pathetic, lads. Like, what's going on here? And then, like, the bank rob... And, like, oh, my, oh my God. When, the, when uh, you're one, the, the mon... What's, what's her name? Uh, who had the, uh, the pub in The Force Awakens. The little orange... Mass. Maz. Maz. Remember they called Maz and they're like, oh, you're going to need to, to, to find uh, an expert bank robber. Look for the red flower or whatever. And I'm like, why don't you just give the people a name? Like, why, you know, go to this planet, go into this casino and look around for a red flower. Like, this is stupid. Like, should have been like, find John. John is good with this. John is in yeah. this casino right now. It's just like, just pointless, absolute pointless. And it's like, yeah, and then they just pick up this guy because, you know, reasons. And it, I actually quite liked the, the, the safe crackers character, but like the whole how he yeah. comes into it is just weird. And, and, and then like, I didn't, I didn't really like the, the, the horse rabbit aliens either. And, oh, and I didn't like BB-8 in this movie either. BB-8 was just annoying in this movie. And he was great in the last one, like at the start where he like jams his head into the th- you know he's tr- you know he's trying to fix the ship yeah and it's like oh he puts out one tentacle and then it's like oh something sparks off and then there's another tentacle and oh he's all flustered and then he just like jams his head into the thing and there's lots of weird noises and then he later on he like drives and an at at and you're like ah oh god everyone stop just why why are we doing this, this i mean oops some of that stuff I didn't mind. Sorry, I dropped my phone there. Uh, some of that stuff I didn't mind because you know it is it is a kids' film and there there is you know there needs to be some of that kind of stuff to it. Um, I didn't mind the casino scene all that much because, like you said, it was very visually different from the rest of it, and that makes sense for me because you know this is kind of the decadent, uh, kind of elite, and they're safe from all of the serious um stuff that's happening in the rest of the galaxy. So it it you know it it made it visually made sense for me that way. Um, I didn't mind the 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 vet, the gambling machine gag with the the alien putting coins in in BB eight, um, and I thought I even thought that the 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 shooting them at the guard later was was quite funny and it was it was a good callback. But like, why did it have to like? And this is a lot of the problem that that I think Star Wars has, um. The excess of it was kind of what annoyed me. Like, it was like BB-8 shot his own volume in coins <laughs> at the guards. Like, yeah. it, like, it would have been funny if it had been like three or four. Yeah, yeah. Where is where? How does he have the space to house all these coins? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, it's absurd. Yeah. Um, and I know you're like thinking too too deeply about like the logistics and stuff, but you know, it's just like it's it's. It's the excess that of, of that bit that, that kind of annoyed me. Um, yeah, they're they're all they're all fair. I don't I, I don't feel all of those, but I I understand all of those. 
Um, you didn't like the animals. I liked the foxes. Uh, the the crystal foxes thing. Yeah, the, the salt fox things. Yeah, they. I thought they, I thought they were cool. I wasn't mad on the porgs. I didn't like the caretakers. They were a bit Jim Henson for me. Not that I've anything. I, I mean, I love Jim Henson. I love the Muppets, but it, it didn't. It didn't gel well. Yeah, um, no. I, and then and again, there was loads of stupid humor around them, where like stuff breaks, and they would like have mild conniptions and. It's just yeah, yeah, I didn't like it at all. I, oh, I have a thing to say about Skellig Michael. Yeah. Or a thing to ask you, Skellig Michael for the listeners is the the uh, Luke's Island. It's an island off Ireland. Um, mm-hmm. uh, is does how close is Skellig Michael to what we see on screen? Like although I know on Skellig Michael they have those round huts. Um, yeah. Is Luke's little village just pretty much what's on Skellig Michael, or have they done a whole so. load of effects? So, like, it, it kind of looks like that, yeah? I, I think... I've never been, but I think so. Okay. And, like, things like the stairway leading up to the peak. I'm, I'm assuming yeah. that things like that's added in. Mm, no, there is there is something about a, a, big, a big stairway on one of them. I don't know if it, like, literally goes to the, the peak, but there's, like, a couple of hundred steps leading down a cliff. Hmm. And... Is it as dangerous as that film makes it look? Yeah. Oh, okay, yeah. And are, are people are allowed to go on Skellig Michael, are they? Limited. It's very, very limited. It was very difficult for for uh, Lucasfilm to get permission to film there. Oh, yeah. Apparently, they they made um, they like, ruined parts of it or something in the last film, and the Irish government got really angry and were like, you, you can't do that again. Like, come on. Yeah, um, I, I, I heard something to that effect. I hope it's not true, because you know, obviously it's an important historical and archaeological mm. uh, resource I, I, I'm I'm I don't know it, it makes for a really good locale but it, the fact that it is Skellig Michael completely takes me out of the film I'm just like really? oh this is a tourist a tourist Ireland uh, flick like because I know it like it, it's not like it, it's it's not like uh, Tatooine like I get that Tatooine is in Morocco I think it's Morocco is it yeah? Luke's Luke's home place is is some place in Morocco, I think. Um, I think so. Yeah, like I've no context for that, so it may as well mm. be in a galaxy far, far away. But Skellig Michael, I have a context for. Like I learned about it in school and saw pictures and saw various like tourist Ireland things, and I can't suspend disbelief. Like I look at that island and go, they're just off the southwestern coast, like mm. you know, and that's. That that is a particular obviously a particular problem to me. Like most people in the world don't care and wouldn't they wouldn't have this problem. Um but yeah. So yeah. Uh any other minutiae? Anything else on your little list to discuss? Uh, let me see here. Uh yeah, there was some really bad dialogue, uh, especially around that, that fight with uh Finn and Phasma at the end when yeah. he's like, Come on, Chrome Dome. It's oh. Jesus, is it like is it the eighties? Are, are you a yeah. Standing up to a bully in an 80s film. Is that what's going on? Yeah. Yeah. That's. Yeah, it wasn't great. And no. It needed more Phasma. Like. Maybe they're trying to set up Phasma as to be a kind of. Um, uh, Boba Fett sort of character. Where, like, they don't actually do much in the main thing, and then they're going to, like, make loads of supplementary and background media about them. Mm. Uh which I guess would be cool. And like, look, I mean, Gwendolyn and Christie's class. Yeah there, yeah, there really wasn't enough for her. She's dead now. She, she died in that, didn't she? Yeah. We didn't see her die on screen. 
You didn't see her. We saw her fall into fire. We also saw Boba Fett fall into a sarlacc. So I'm going to go and say that Phasma is not dead. (laughs) Um, About the about the the Leia flying thing. Yeah. Um, I didn't mind that that much. Oh, Bill, you're so wrong. I was I was talking to someone about it. Uh, I was talking to a couple of people about it, and it is implied that Leia is force sensitive a couple of times in the original trilogy. Yeah, no, no, but even, no, hang on, even if we knew she was Force-sensitive and that was an established thing, it, mm-hmm. it looked terrible. Oh, yeah, vi- visually it was a little silly looking. Yeah. yeah it was, but as as a thing that happened, I didn't mind it. I was like, okay, that's a cool addition to the story. Um, no, no, but, hang, hang no, sorry, sorry, before you go on, but, like, it didn't need to happen, right? Like, they could have, all right, okay, you, do, you want Leia to not die, right? Don't have mm-hmm. her on the bridge at that moment. Like, it's a thing they could have written around so easily. And then there could have been a nice thing where she mourns someone who was on the bridge and, like, like a connection can be established there. They didn't need to have that happen. And I don't understand the reason for having it happen. Like, it does nothing for the story. Like, Leia just... Okay, it incapacitates Leia. But again, you can do that. She can be just off the bridge and be injured. It was just stupid. And then also, like, I know we're in Star Wars land where physics don't don't apply. But, like, you die in space. Like... Yeah, but it takes a while. Yeah, but it's... A while... Okay, right, okay. A much better um, uh, way of dealing with it would be, like, Michael in in Star Trek. Um, You know the Mm -hmm. thing in the first episode... Uh, the battle of yeah. the binaries, where she like has to go into space. She yeah, gets... where she likes to like get across the yeah. Right, that was held a lot better because it was kind of like there was a real risk there. Like you know, this was taking mm-hmm. a huge risk. And then as she was flying across the gap, which was like only about two seconds, you can see her begin to like shrivel up and die, and it really make you like feel like oh god, there's yeah. danger and stuff like that. But then like the way it's shot, it feels like Leia's drifting around in space for who knows how long. And there seems to be no kind of like like danger element. She's just like, you know, serenely lying there. And then she budges and moves and then she like flies over. And it's just the whole, that was just the stupid. It was actually, I think that might be stupider than the casino scene. That was ridiculous. Just totally unnecessary and ridiculous and did nothing but confuse matters. And it's just, yeah, it's utterly pointless. My actual issue with that bit is no one mentions it again. You've just seen yeah. your general fly in space and everyone just rolls with it. Yeah, it's like, oh, she's she's incapacitated now. It's like, yeah, but but what made her incapacitated? That thing. Fuck, talk about that thing. Yeah, it's just, yeah. Like, it's, it's okay, you're, you're, the, your general is Superman and no one's going to mention it. I, I think actually that's another thing why I didn't like it because it was very Superman-esque, like hand forward, you know, flying in for a little landing on the destroyed bridge. It looked very like a Superman pose. And mm-hmm. yeah, it just looked you know, stupid. Um, I, so I, I kind of I'm coming away from thinking I'm fine with it as a thing that happened, but the writing didn't give it the significance that it, it deserved to. Like the writing around it didn't give it enough um, kind of context. Yeah, and didn't show its relevance in the world. Yeah, agreed, agreed. I, well, I'm agreed with that point. I'm still agreed that mm-hmm. it's a thing that maybe shouldn't have happened, and I'm not happy that it happened. But I agree that if you're going to make it happen. Uh, deal with deal with the aftermath a little bit better. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay, so a big criticism people have of the prequel trilogy is that characters spend an awful lot of time separated. 
Yeah. And they're all off doing these different things. Mm. And we don't really get a sense of like caring for them sure. as a group or a unit. Luke or we spends, don't get a... Luke, Luke spends um, Empire Strikes Back crying in a swamp. Yes, he does. <laughs> it's just it's an absurd well, I, I was, uh, criticism. I, I, well, I was refer- referring more to kind of like uh, Attack on Clones where Obi-Wan is off being like a noir detective. And then Anakin is off protecting, in inverted commas, um, Padme. And they're just, you're meant yeah. to, like, we want to, well, at least I would like to try and, like, get to know these characters as a unit, as a family, how they all interact. And you can't do that when everyone's around the place. This happened lots in this film, and I didn't like it. And then what made it kind of even worse was the whole, like, telepathy thing, where... Like Ray is talking to Kylo, but they're not together. And there was huge portions of the of the film where they're not together, and you don't get like you don't get the cool film thing where like you can see uh, like the actors bounce off one another in terms of like body language when they're doing like a mm-hmm. a ensemble piece. Now they might have been together on screen, fair enough, uh, 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 on set, but it didn't come across like that in the film, and it was very much kind of like almost like like vloggy, like cutting back and forth in a really kind of jarring sort of way. And I'm kind of like, did, did this also need to happen? Like, could we not have condensed that whole big thing where they have an elaborate drawn out back and forth about like tempting Kyle over? We could have condensed that into a really slickly written, like one one scene ensemble thing. And and then the stupid joke about- I don't agree. You, you don't agree? No, it's a process. It's an ongoing dialogue. Uh, okay. Okay. So I, I I don't think that would have worked well as a single scene. I see that. I disagree. Uh, but I see that. Uh, if if we accept, if I accept, then that okay, it needs to be an ongoing process. I would prefer if they found a way of writing it such that they come in contact with one another. I just I really didn't like the the universe spanning or the galaxy spanning like um face calling force calling each other yeah exactly yeah i i didn't i didn't like that at all it's just it's, i don't know i and then we had a, sh- a lot of people have said that it didn't actually bother me much in the film oh is this a common criticism well i say a lot of people have said that uh one <laughs> other person that i spoke to said that but i got the impression from them that it was a common thing oh i haven't read any reviews uh, about this film at all uh so i actually I, I don't know what the general um feeling towards this is do you know what the general feeling is is this a well received film very mixed a very lot of mixed. a lot of very good quite a bit of quite bad hmm what do the critics think of this i don't know you don't know okay not that it really matters what critics think i never i never tend to know to be honest i i don't tend to read film reviews and things hmm so in essence like a, a huge huge like award winning thing then uh, I, I wouldn't know that it is. Critically acclaimed, yeah. 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 Um, anyhow, give us another point. Uh, okay, let me just open my list again. Oh dear, where's my list gone? Here we go. What? Yeah, the reason I like Kylo Ren. The um, reason you like Kylo Ren, okay. As I, The reason I think he's a good villain is he he chooses evil. Like, we see at the end of the first film, he is he is given a chance for redemption, and he, he, re- he freely rejects it, I think. Um, which, in although he has all of these other kind of, you know, Freudian excuses and, and 
things in his past that that make him that make him evil. Uh, he also just chooses it. He also is given the the option of being good, and he decides not to be. Um, and then even even when he betrays Snoke, like he he doesn't embrace what's being presented as the good side. So I guess it does preserve a bit of the ambiguity that I was I I liked at the start of the film with like Luke's uh, ambivalence towards the Force. Um, Kylo does preserve a bit of that. Uh, but I I think I know I think that's that's interesting. I think that's good. I have a character who isn't just evil uh because he has a sad past or kind of with with no context whatsoever someone who's just evil he has all these reasons and he chose evil hmm. you know as opposed to just having been corrupted or whatever i, th- I think there's something kind of compelling about that for me um and also that he's essentially uh a kind of a sad whiny bitch <laughs> But that doesn't make him. That doesn't make him less of a threat. You know that just because someone is is kind of pathetic in a lot of ways doesn't mean that they aren't legitimately a danger. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know you, you can make a lot of kind of social connections like the the violence um, coming from sad entitled white men. Um, in in a various societies that he kind of represents that and that he's you know, he's a real person who has chosen this and he has all these excuses he's not like some immortal terrifying wizard demon like the way Darth Vader appears at first he's he has there's this kind of realness to him and that makes him more scary for me um, uh... All of that makes sense. I, I can't get on board, though, with the notion that he's scary. Um, like, there is there is a lot about him that just makes me... It just He just comes across as being a bit, like, stupid. Uh, <laughs> I, I, like this, and this is nothing to do with kind of, like, the setup or his character, I think. Just... This is going to sound terrible, but just him as a person, <laughs> it's just, I, I don't think it works very well. Like, there's loads of times where he'll, like, look at the camera or whatever and just look a little bit constipated. Uh, and, like, uh, the entire film was kind of like, this guy isn't scary. He's scary. He's just, like, he's an angry teenager who's eaten too much and is showing it. And uh, I, I feel, I feel no, uh, there is, I feel no threat from him other than, like, he'll lash out irrationally or whatever. But the way the character plays him and his facial expressions uh, undermine all of the valid points I think you bring up about how his character is set up. I'm so what you're to... saying is Adam Driver is too weird looking a dude to be a good villain. No, he's not weird looking. No, he's not a weird looking chap. No, no, no. He's just, he's just the things he does with his face. Like one can be an attractive <laughs> person and can mangle their face around in a no, real No, I think, I, think he, I think he's a good looking dude. I think he's a good looking dude. Yeah, yeah, so do but I. He's but a, he's an unusual, he has an unusual face. He's not like bog standard Hollywood beautiful. Like I will, yeah. I will, I will give you that. But no, no, just the way he acts with his face is very weird. There's, there's one, if, if uh, when a Jedi comes out, uh, is publicly released, I might see if I could just isolate the, the clip. There's one bit where I thought he was like like blowing raspberries with his lips a little bit because I don't know what it was. He's <laughs> like, what are you doing with your face? You're meant to be like threatening in all I was, the ways. I was fidgeting with a candle when you said that and I nearly spilled wax all over myself. I'm going to put that down. 
I, I will find I will find that and gifify it because there's I was just like what what are you doing like it's just ridiculous, um, the but I take your points about how he set up as a villain. I think he's a good villain. I still don't think there's a strong enough connection about why he would choose a dark side. So we have so far what uh, if I'm not missing anything we have he wants to be Vader. He idolizes mm-hmm. Vader, and uh, there was a thing with his training with Luke um, that yeah. soured him a little bit. But if I'm trying to put myself in his shoes, and, and then none of that would compel me to choose the dark side. Again, at least Anakin, as bad as Anakin was in, in the prequels, there was a solid reason where you can go, okay, I totally understand why you're doing that. Like, you know, Padme is going to die. I am going to save the one I love. I choose the dark side. Whereas he just seems to be like, eh, whatever, man, I'm going to choose the dark side now. And there seems to be no compelling reason other than that he's a stroppy teenager. And that's entirely fine if that is the reason. I just don't think it's a very solid one and not a very interesting and well-written one. Right. If that makes sense. Yeah, it does make sense. Uh, I, I have a point, uh, another unrelated point. Go for it. Uh, well, two, actually. Snoke. No, too many. Too many. Alright, <laughs> go on. Podcast over. Uh, Snoke. Yeah. They they co- they completely wasted him. Like yeah. What happened? You know. Wh- you say, so he was set up in the Force's Awakens as a, as a mysterious figure, like oh the big hologram, and who is he? And the whole internet was like, who is Snoke? And it turns out Snoke is Snoke, and we didn't learn anything about his backstory. Didn't learn anything about anything to make him menacing, other than you know he was visually presented as being the bad guy. There was nothing about him at all that was mm-hmm. set up. And then they just killed him. And you're like, okay, so I guess Snoke was just a really bad Jedi. Okay, grand. And maybe they're doing the thing where they have like, you know, they're going to do a Snoke standalone or some nonsense like this. But like... I would is... put, I would bet the house on it. Well, but this is, but this is like bollocks. Like they, they this is why, oh, this is why I'm disappointed that Disney have this. I'm disappointed that Star Wars is still going. They should have left it with three. It's done. Don't like, like just like Breaking Bad. Don't make anything more in Breaking Bad. It is a single contained brilliant work. Stop it. Move on. Make something. Better Call Saul is okay. To be fair, uh, I'm referring more to kind of like continuing on Breaking Bad. Oh, okay. Yeah. Because uh, there was talks about them doing more, and I was like, whoa, no, don't do that. Please don't do that. Um, yeah, no, it'd be terrible. Yeah, it doesn't matter how good your writing team is, just stop. It's 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 a thing we all loved. Leave it, move on. And this is like Disney having it now, and just it feels very much like part of the writing process is figuring out how to franchise things. And mm-hmm. that's like that is not good storytelling. Like they should have stole told a story with Snoke, not just like killed them off, left all this mystery, and then just make it a separate film. I, I don't want that. It's 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 terrible. Yeah. Um and I was I was hoping he was gonna be Mace Windu, and he wasn't, so you know. Oh weird. No, I, yeah, the part no, I'm joking. Apparently there's some theory where it's like it is Mace Windu. I haven't read it, but I don't Jar-Jar. know. Jar uh, Jar. yeah, Darth Jar Jar. <laughs> um the and then the other thing I was gonna bring up is a thing I liked. I like the fact that uh Ray's parents were no one. I, um, I I will be so angry if they go back on that. Oh, well, they, they can't. Like, they've said it. They're not going to go back on that. What, you, you think Kylo Ren is a trustworthy source? Oh, okay. Mm. Like, it's we, all we have is his word for it. Uh, that's fair. Yeah. I, I hope it stays that way, that, that they're no one. And because it, it gives, it gives uh, a lot of kind of, like, 
agency to Ray because it's yeah. like it's not her lineage that is doing anything. It's the fact that you know she's she is responsible for yeah. this, and it um, makes the universe bigger. I think like having everything just be like a heritage thing makes the universe really small. Yeah. It's actually it's not it's not this huge galaxy. It's six people and yeah, their kids. Ex- Exactly, exactly. Um, I think that was a really, really good move. And yeah. it was quite it was quite a, an emotive moment because he's really, like, he was really getting at her. Like, you could see her. She acted it very well. Like, she was, like, struggling to hold mm. it in because she knew that her parents were no one. And yeah. he knows, assuming we're giving all the information. Well, she doesn't, she doesn't know. Like, she... She... Because she, 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 I... When I first watched uh, Force Awakens with you... I came out thinking nothing about her, her parentage. And then people were like, oh, maybe she's like Luke's daughter. And I didn't get a, a, a sniff of that in the film. When I rewatched the film right, recently, when I rewatched Force Awakens recently, I saw a couple of hints that that would imply that she might be Luke's daughter. Um, But I, I now, yeah, I mean, I hope it isn't the case. Yeah, I yeah I I hope they don't backtrack because I think that was a really cool moment. Um, yeah, yeah, and again, it's silly to endlessly continue like, oh, this is the son of that and it's the daughter of yeah. this person, and it's like, okay, stop, like. Um, so yeah, uh, the the fight in Snoke's room. Uh, one visual thing that I really liked, I really liked uh, when Kylo Ren and his his lightsaber. Uh, I liked when he was dragging it along the ground. It like marked up the ground and there was like like uh sparks and stuff i thought that was kind of cool like it's yeah. like it's not just like this elegant um like crouching tiger hidden dragon st- like style martial arts like it's brutal and there's a bit of kind of there's brutishness to it and it's like you're you're not yeah. only like fighting people you're like destroying the setting you are in i thought that was yeah. really good it was really really good and now that i think about it that that kind of it, it's a it's an echo of the fact that that the the ship itself is about to be destroyed and pretty badly foul up the the first order in general mm. you know like and you know th- there's a couple of like thematic and symbolic echoes there like snoke gets killed his chamber gets destroyed um and then the ship it's on gets destroyed um, yeah. Uh, what I liked about uh, that chamber, it was cool. Like the 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 red in the background, you couldn't really tell how big it was, or you could like you couldn't really see, it, like the 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 scale wasn't wasn't obvious, and it looked like a like an experimental film from the sixties or something. I thought that yeah, was kind of cool. it really did. It really did. I like I like you, you understand what I'm getting at with that aesthetic there, right? Yeah, that makes I'm not just talking nonsense. Cool, cool. No, no. Uh, if, if that analogy reminds me of a film that I'm going to give me two seconds. I'm going to find this. It's, it's on my Facebook films. Uh, it's, it's a, a really, um, uppity art film. Um, hold is on. the main character of mine? Uh, man, there are no main characters in art films. Um, it's all about symbolism and meaning. Uh, where is, where do my films live on this? About? Friends. Yeah, about and then in likes. Oh, did I remove it because it was too artsy and one? Uh, <laughs> hold on, I can't remember the name of it. Um, oh, oh no, the the cremaster cycle. The cremaster cycle is it cremaster? That's certainly coming up in autocomplete. 
Yeah, the, okay. five feature-length films together with related sculptures. Oh my god, this sounds amazing. <laughs> so this your sounds... your analogy reminds me of this thing called the Cremaster Cycle, which had like it was a really weird artsy project with all this additional stuff to it. Like I don't recommend anyone watch these films. They're not they're not good. Like they're 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 designed for like um, skinny. Uh, elderly, intellectual, wine-drinking, artistic nerds, and like no one else. Uh, but when you still that's gonna be me, man. That's that's gonna be that's gonna be you. <laughs> I'd be interested to see if you like it, but yeah, no one else, no one else. It's, it sounds like the kind of thing I wouldn't like, to be honest. It, it's it's not great. But when you said about like a sort of sixties, uh, like uh, that sort of aesthetic, cool. something about that flipped the switch in my mind and reminded me of that film. But uh, but I agree, Snoke's Chamber was cool. Um. It was very cool, and it was it was a nice visual sort of thing. Um, um, when they when they cut Snoke in half, remember there was a gag where Snoke falls over when he's cut in half. Hux, right. Remember Hux is like standing over his body, and he's like, "Oh, look, that's our supreme leader." And then his lower half just flops onto the floor, and I was like, "You're kidding, right? Like, where you built up all this menace to the man, uh, or the the alien, or whatever he is." And uh, he's meant to be like the supreme leader, and you're just gonna like have his lower half flop onto the floor and make a noise as it lands. Great, that's real, real excellent, excellent, excellent filmmaking there, lads. Ten out of ten. No, I think it is. Yeah, because he's 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 dead now, and now he's pathetic. Yeah. Okay. Fine, but it it played more like slapstick than it played like okay. as in symbol for me as in it didn't symbolize oh the downfall of of a great albeit evil man. It played mm-hmm. more like lads. Do you know what will get a laugh out here if he flops on the floor? And it's like, no, no, we're done. I I want to mention another film. Uh, please do. Based just when you bring up the Cremaster cycle, um. There's a very good gallery here in the town where I live. Um, and they get like really, really interesting stuff in. And they have one video room, which I've seen some some pretty cool, uh, you know, short films and things in. But they're recently, from the summer until the, the start of, of autumn, they were uh, showing a film called The Triadic Ballet. The Triadic Ballet. Yes. It was uh, written in the 20s, and this film version is from the late 60s, early... Oh, it's from 1970, 1970. Um, and it, re- like it, looks, it looks really late 60s, early 70s in its design and, and everything. All the costumes are based on the original 1920s version. Um, but it's, it's shot like other kind of late 60s weird stuff that I've seen. And I've only seen here now that the the music was all written by Hindemith, which I which I'd never actually seen in the credits when I went to to look at it at the in the gallery. Do you know Hindemith? I do. Yeah, great composer. The um, vi- he he likes his viola stuff, doesn't he? Uh, possibly he wrote a load of sonatas for like pretty much every conceivable instrument. I think he's got like he's got he's got a sonata for like most things, I think. Huh. Um. um. But yeah, it's it's an it's a real interesting uh, thing to watch. It's about twenty minutes long, I think, maybe half an hour. And there's a version of it on YouTube, the same version that was screened in in my in in the gallery here. Links uh, in the show notes. Yeah, I'll I'll send you a link to it. It's 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 in three acts, and each one is based around a, a different color. 
I don't want to say too much about it in case anyone wants to watch it and 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 uh, get their own interpretations about it. But certainly the first two acts have very clear themes to me. Uh, Bill, is this going to be a thing that people are actually going to like, or is this going to be like the Master Cycle, a lot of arty nonsense? I mean, it's it's a lot of arty nonsense, but it's quite entertaining arty nonsense. Okay, okay. I thought. Okay, fair enough. What's what's the most like uppity arty piece of film work you've ever seen? Film work I've ever seen. Yeah, is there anything that sticks out to you in like the visual media where you're kind of like that? That was so far down the art rabbit hole. I don't know where I am. Honestly, no. I mean, I don't. I don't go in for that kind of stuff much. I don't expose myself to that stuff very often. Hmm. But you seem like the prime candidate to do this. Like you like your art. Yeah, but I'm very ignorant about it, and I, I, I like to. I, I, you know, I like. I like static stuff, and I I'm not great on on video installations and sound installations and things. They don't, they don't. I don't engage with them very well. Hmm. Let me think. What what have I seen, video wise? Uh, nothing. Nothing really comes to mind. To be honest, the 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 most uppity arty thing I ever seen. I think. Um, I was in, when I went over to, uh, Scotland for the TED talk, uh, I was in Glasgow first. Yes. I was in Glasgow before going to Edinburgh. No, I was in Ed. Yes. No, I was in Glasgow. And the day before the talk, I had a day of like nothing to do. So I just, I walked around Glasgow and basically just hit up all the kind of like free places to go. Um, Mm. and there was loads of museums. So I went to this one museum anyways, and they were playing, like a, uh, I don't know, must be maybe a half an hour long sort of like artistic take on a documentary about uh, BDSM and fetish life. Amazing. With like, with like accompanying sculptures and works of art. And I was like, I think we've gone down the rabbit hole here. <laughs> that's, that's not that great. It, yeah, it's, mm, it was very... I don't know. It was very... I, I, what people are thinking in their head now, people are kind of going like, oh, that's amazing, you're raunchy. Like, I can't express to you how not raunchy it was uh, and how it was, like, really quaint. Like, yeah, it was really quaint and, like, proper proper English uh, while still being inspired by, like, BDSM. Well, uh, like tweed ball gags. Yeah, do you know what? You say that in joke, but that's not far off. Um, not that they actually had tweed ball gags, but like that that sort of spirit was kind of what was going on. And I'm actually did, more interested now. I actually had no idea what was going on. I was like, like, I, I don't like, I treat art a little bit skeptically most of the time. Like a lot of people will stand around and say, oh, isn't this great art? And I'm kind of like. Rightly so. Um, but I'm open to it. Like I'm open to like the sort of like listening to the sort of leaps of logic i think a lot of people who love their art take in order to imbue certain things with with symbolism mm-hmm. i'm open to that i'm like okay we're we're in art land now that's entirely fine go for it but that that thing in that museum in glasgow i was like i i i have no idea i don't know i don't understand i have i have no way of grasping what the hell i am being like uh being uh subjugated to like it was just it was weird a- anyhow 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 star wars <clears throat> Uh, question. Uh, do, would you, well, first of all, do you have anything else in your list you need to bring up? 
That's I think I think that's all of my my points for now. I liked I liked that other ad, the vice admiral character. I thought she was a cool character, and um, I agree with you that she maybe ought to have been a little bit more forthcoming about what, what was happening. But you know, commanders can't always do that when you're in positions of authority. You can't always trust people not to like be spies or whatever. Um, but I thought she was I thought she was a cool character, and I like I like how she uh, took took no nonsense from Poe Dameron. Yeah, can I make a point about clothing? Sure. Uh, I do, this has been a problem in Star Wars throughout, like all the movies. It's like the clothing put me off because it's like y'all are on like a well, no, it's a battleship. It's not really a battleship, but y'all are on like a military level sort of thing here. Mm-hmm. Um, why are we wearing like Roman esque uh, toga like things? Like surely there would be a sense. It's a very multicultural endeavor. Right, right, but like at some point, surely on a military, uh, a military ship, one would like just have to wear practical stuff. Like you know, like this is what I think is really good about um, about Star Trek as well. It's like everyone's just in the same uniform, uh, barring Deanna Troy. Deanna Troy aside. In the next generation, everyone's just in a uniform that is, you know, they don't always pull this off, but it's meant to just be like, we are on the ship. This is the ship yeah. sort of thing. It's like, it's like form over kind of like visual beauty. Whereas I was kind of like, why is like, especially Leia. Leia was dressed in a kind of like very elaborate sort of thing. And I was kind of like, I want to see Leia like, you know, wear like dirty overalls. Do you know what I mean? The way she was in the first, in, in Force Awakens, yeah. Yeah, a little bit. And I want to see all of them kind of like, you know, men and women alike, just wear dirty over, because then that just helps with the sort of like um, yeah. visual cue that the rebellion is like um, being driven back, you know? It's like er- no one's in like eloquent, clo- in elaborate clothing. It's all mm. very kind of like gritty and mucky and we're really scrapping. And so I didn't, I didn't like the choice of costume for a lot of characters. Um, I don't know. In in the eighteen hundreds, naval captains and and you know military officers, land officers would wear quite uh, elaborate things to battle. Yeah, that's so. I mean, it's, that that's a cultural thing, and I'm not I'm not too too um off put by it for that reason. I I, I don't I. It doesn't break my immersion to, to imagine that she's from a culture that does that. Yeah, that's fair. Or I that think... they left in a hurry and that was the only thing she had. <laughs> uh, yeah, that, that's fair. I think I just, I like the sort of like Firefly get up more than this. Um, I think it's just, yeah, it's, it's a personal preference sort of thing. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, I agree with your points about her. Uh, yeah, she should have been more forceful. But um, a question I want to ask is uh, where do you foresee the next film going? Do you have any sort of theories? Is there anything you'd like to see? Is there anything coming out of this where you're kind of like, this is how X and Y and Z should play out? No. No. I haven't thought about it. Now, is that a thing that you don't usually think about with films or has this film left you in a state of like, oh, just, I'm not thinking about it. who cares? Um, I'm not massively, massively invested in Star Wars anyway, um, and I just haven't put any thought into it. So, I mean, I would sometimes think about it in other things if I was, like, super into the series, but that's not the case here. Yeah, 
yeah, I, I, I'm same. I, I, with things I really care about, and I know that there's going to be more of, I tend to like try and think through all the plot points. But with this one, I'm just yeah. Again, I'm struggling to to care about Star Wars now, um, mm-hmm. which which I don't like. It's, it's not good. And the other thing I was going to ask is. Uh, can you? I, I'd be really interested in hearing how you would rank the films. Best to worst. Can you do it? What would be your your ranking? Oh dear. Um, it's been a has long no time one, since I've... Hang on. Has no one ever asked you this? This is like the standard Star Wars question when people talk. It's been What's a long up? time since I've since I've seen the original trilogy. It's been a long time since I've thought about this. I haven't seen Phantom Menace properly. Um. I would put Rogue One as the best. Okay. And then I would ask you. <laughs> okay, let me let me think this through, right? So I would put Rogue One as the best. Okay. I would then go four. So a new hope. Uh no no, I would go five. Four. Six, three, one, two, and then Jedi. This this Jedi, like the new one. What are we on? Eight, nine, nine. Eight. Eight. I would do eight, and then I would finish with seven, I think. Yeah, so best to the worst, we have Rogue One. I, I'm just going to do numbers. Five, four, six, three, one, two, eight, seven. That's that ordering is purely based on the fact that I dislike Force Awakens for being a carbon copy of A New Hope. You could technically put Force Awakens in third slot in that ranking if you're a person who hasn't hasn't seen A New Hope. As in, like it's it's a good film in its own right, but you just you're so put off by it being a clone. Right, exactly. Exactly. Like okay. I, it, it just go. It goes against everything I care for in movie making. Make okay. new stuff. Make it original. Make cool. This this idea of rebooting and rehashing stuff. I hate. I just despise the whole thing. So ergo, it gets stuffed down the bottom. Uh, although in right, it could do with being a uh, being a little bit higher. Subreddit, can I ask a favor? Could everyone leave their ranking of the Star Wars films? I would be really intrigued to see. How uh, how it would play out? Yeah, I'd be I'd be curious as well, actually. Um, so yeah, any any closing points? I, I think I've been through most of what I hated about this film and some of what I liked. Um, do you think? I think I think that's most of most of what I wanted to say um, about the film. Uh, I do have another question for you, though, Edgar. Oh oh boy! Well, it's, it's a, a somewhat open ended one. Oh. Um, so this is going to be our last episode of the year. It is. Because it's Christmas very, very shortly. Mm-hmm. And uh, Merry Christmas to those of you who celebrate that. And um, Happy Hanukkah, which has just finished, I think, on the, at the time of recording, to any of our listeners who celebrate that. And anyone who's celebrating the solstice or any other winter festivals, enjoy those. It, it could, uh, could, hold on, before you go on, just a question about nomenclature. Happy yeah. holidays, right? Is that the correct term to cover everything? I guess, yeah. Okay, good. I put that in my... I just finished a video and I put that at the end. I I, I said something like, a Merry Christmas, 
happy holidays and a happy new year. And I was kind of like, I think the happy holidays covers everyone who maybe doesn't do the Christmas thing. So I'm glad that I'm glad you feel that way. That's good. Yeah, I'd say it's I'd say it's grand. Yeah, I'd say it's grand. yeah, because all the all the other traditions are holidays as well, aren't they? They are celebratory holiday periods. So happy holidays. And you know, like culturally and like employment wise, we get holidays in in you know the Western culture. We get holidays mm. at this time, so it's literally true. It's literally true. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, like this, this is a period when people tend to get holidays. So I'm, I'm sure you're fine on that front. Uh, unless you're a YouTuber where you're in a constant state of working on the next video. <laughs> well, there's that. There's that. Uh, the, so anyway, sorry, go on. What were you saying? Um, so it's the, the year is nearly over. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you have any favorite films or pieces of media that, that came out this year that you, you would like to like to shout out to? As, you oh. know, not, not not as much as a, a top 17 necessarily top 10 of 2017 necessarily but you know just like kind of a general things you like this year oh boy bill uh i think this might be like my star my ranking question where i'm gonna have to defer this to you because i don't think i can't really name a thing that i have consumed this year that would be new <laughs> Right, like apart apart from this film, because like the music I listen to is all like nineties rap, uh, pod podcasts I listen to. uh, I haven't found a new one this year. I don't think. No, no real new YouTube channels. Uh, No movies that came out. No TV. I don't go to say. I mean, I could yeah, obviously Star Trek came out. Uh, yeah, like that was that was a big deal. But I like it hasn't had a such a monumental effect where I'd be like, yes, two thousand and seventeen was the year of Trek. Oh yeah. Um, I don't know. I, I I have you got a list here? I don't have a list, but I've I've got well maybe one or two things. Oh 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 no no hang on I've got something. What is it? Uh. This is people are gonna really hate me for this. My moment of the year, and I'm I'm just really sorry. And like, like after I say this, listeners, I am totally okay with you unsubscribing from this podcast. You like, I'm I, not. I, <laughs> uh, my moment of the year is when Apple uh, pledged to make a Mac Pro. That's my thing of the year. Now it didn't come this year. But they, they, they said they're really sorry to all their professional users for neglecting them for so long. And they said that they will be making a Mac Pro in, I think it was 2018. Um, and that is that is in the Apple world, in the Apple sphere, that's quite a monumental thing. And uh, probably an outstanding moment uh, in the year for me. Not that I'm going to purchase this thing because it's going to cost like tens of thousands. Um, but just from the standpoint of like, I care that Apple cares about like video makers and mm-hmm. um, podcasters and all the high end people who require high end devices. They were neglecting them. Now they're not, or at least they've pledged not to. Uh, and that was that was the thing. So I'm sorry to everyone who's kind of like yet another Apple did. I'm really sorry, but that was a bit of a standout moment for me. Fair enough. Okay. Well, what's what's uh, what what have you got? <laughs> My film of the year is Atomic Blonde. Atomic, Atomic Blonde. Yeah. Atomic, Atomic okay, it's, oh, okay, Atomic Blonde. Very good, links in the show notes. Yeah. Uh, TLDR? It's, it's, um, 
it's a spy film. Uh, it was kind of, I think it was kind of marketed as an action film and it didn't do great because people kind of weren't sure what to expect from it. Um, but it's, it's, it's kind of an, an, a very action-y espionage film. Okay. Set in Berlin, like just before and after the time of the fall of the Berlin Wall. Um, and it's an amazing period piece. The design and like the costumes and stuff is is excellent, and the soundtrack is all like appropriate to late eighties Berlin. Hmm. And it's yeah, so it's really good. It's got a, it's got a really good cast. Um, and there is there is one scene in it which I am not exaggerating in the slightest when I say I was on the edge of my seat. Like I, I was Ooh. so gripped by this one scene, and it was, it was incredible. Um, it takes a lot to partic- move Bill. Yeah, there's like one particular action sequence, and it just like, it just, it had me so on edge. It was, yeah, really, really good. Um, it's in a way, it's, it's kind of like, it's, it's kind of like, uh, uh, no, actually, I don't want to say that. No, I'm not going to say that. Um, <laughs> You can get it out if you want, or you can leave people wondering what it was I was going to say. It's up to you. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, highly, highly recommend that film. Um, really good. That would be my, my main thing. Uh, in terms of TV, I don't think, I'm just going to open up my Netflix real quick, see if there's anything new that I, oh dear, that's not how you spell Netflix. Um, anything new I've been watching this year, nothing comes to mind. In terms of, uh, Podcast. This is a highly culturally specific one, but the Blind Boy podcast is really, really good. Uh, yeah, yeah. TLDR for the listeners. Uh, in Ireland, we have this entertainment duo, entertainment slash social comedy, social commentary, true comedy duo called the Rubber Bandits, and uh, they have. Is it one of them or two of them, Bill? One of them. Just, one of just them. Blind Boy Boat Club, who's like the 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 most visible of them outside of the group yeah one of them has a podcast and i believe this is a podcast about like comedy and social commentary and um they are they uh, your man blind boy boat club is a particularly fascinating character because he's like he's he's so clever and he's like so intellectual uh but like he he masquerades as this kind of like um impoverished uh, sort of hooligan, I suppose. He, yeah, he uh, kind of plays a role of a scumbag. Yeah, I'm not sure. Do people outside, uh, do people in America know scumbag? Is that a term that travels? Um, I yeah, I think I think they'll they'll get the gist. Okay, get the gist. Uh, and he wears like a shopping bag on his head to protect his identity and all this sort of stuff. And so, by the, on the outside outside of it, you can be like, oh, look, this guy's just a train wreck. But then when he sits down and he talks. It's so eloquent, eloquent, and it's cutting, and its commentary is amazing. His commentary mm-hmm. is amazing. Um, so I've been meaning to listen to that podcast actually because I, I really admire him as a as a person and as a commentator. Yeah. So that that again, culture specific may not make a lot of sense to people outside of Ireland, but maybe it'll, it will. It'll make zero sense. Like <laughs> I, I'll put it in the show notes, but like you know, you can attempt to listen to it, but it's it's yeah, it's gonna go completely over your head. <laughs> Um, I no nothing. Nothing is really turning up on my my TV list here. Uh, um, I have a I have a game I watched, of the year. I watched the OA at the start of the year, and that is not something I'm going to recommend. It's very weird. Um, and it got a lot of like press and stuff when it came out, but I'm not going to recommend it. It's one to tread carefully. 
I mean, uh, what game are you going to recommend? At least it's not a BDSM flick, you know? Like, of all the weird things we've recommended, well, I didn't recommend it, but mentioned on this podcast, I mean, like, it, it's, it's not going to be up there, man. But, I mean, I haven't seen the thing you're, you're, you're referring to, so I'm not, I'm not going to comment. <laughs> <laughs> game, I have a game of the year. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that is, thank you to Hallow Internet for pointing this out. It's a game called Universal Paperclips. Um, and it's it's a browser-based game. So, like, just to put this in context, I don't play, I don't have a TV, I don't have consoles. I'm sure there's amazing games that have been brought out for those. They're just not part of my sphere. Uh, I usually game on, like, a very limited amount on Steam and then browser-based stuff, just as a passing, to, to pass my time when something is rendering or loading or whatever. Uh, but uh, Universal Paperclips is a... Um, it's an incremental game. Uh, that's all I'm going to say. It's it's an incremental game about making paper clips, uh, and it is fantastic. And it's I I uh, having played it uh, after it was recommended on Hello Internet, I have come to the conclusion that it's not necessarily a game. It's just a work of art. Like it's cool. beautiful. It is absolutely beautiful in what in, in its intent. And it's clever, and it's witty, and it's it's uh, suspenseful. It's just it's brilliant, and it's an and it's an incremental game. So like those are words that you don't usually associate with incremental games. You you sit there and you think about gathering wood endlessly and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, this is this is great. So that that would be my game of the year. It is. Is it like game. a dark room? It is like a dark room. Okay. Except I, I think really like a dark room. A dark room is very very good. Um, but I th- this is better. Okay, um, cool. M- maybe because it just appeals to a lot of the things that uh, I personally like, um, right. which will b- will become apparent if you play the game. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I th- I think it's it's better, and there's more of a there's more of an intent to it, which I think is great. A dark room is definitely good, a, a good game. Kittens, have you played Kittens game? No. Kittens game is <laughs> is interesting. It's a uh, it's another one of those like dark room esque incremental games, except that it's not it's not really you don't really do very much in it as the game okay. goes on. It becomes more like kind of like a slowly moving desktop wallpaper that has no end. Like it just keeps going and things keep ratcheting up. <laughs> uh, like TLDR, you're you're a village of kittens, and then it just technology keeps incrementing that you can like you know take over space and all this sort of jazz and build mega ships and all this sort of thing. But there's people who've been playing the game for like years and they still haven't gotten enough because it's, it's purposely designed to be a very slowly incrementing game, um, mm-hmm. which is either a nightmare or a blessing, depending on where <laughs> you fall and thing. I'm in between. I'm a bit kind of like, I don't want to waste my entire life doing this, but I see how it could be fun. Um, so game of the year, universal paperclips. Cool. Um, do you, have, do you have anything else like a food of the year? <laughs> no, I have not discovered anything new, particularly food wise this year. I don't think I have a cutlery of the year. <laughs> What's your cutlery of the year? Edgar? Wall wall decoration of the year. I have oven hood of the year. <laughs> no, I have none of these things. This sounds um, like an in joke. Solely understood by you. <laughs> no, I'm just I'm looking around because the whole notion of of the year stuff is kind of weird. Uh, it is, yeah, I, it is, I find, it is. and then I'm looking around my room and I'm like, oh, there's an oven hood there. Like, 
I wonder what is the oven hood of the year and like what is my wall decoration of the year and all this sort of jazz. Um, but uh, anyhow, shall we? Shall we wrap it up? Let's leave it there. Uh, everyone, Merry Christmas, Happy Holidays, Happy New Year. I hope 2017 was an epic year. Uh, I hope 2018 is going to be an equally epic year. Um, have a wonderful holiday and we will see you in in the new year. Yeah? See you next year. Until next time, Bill. Edgar, Edgar out. out.